Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Bill Hillman is a 32-year-old Chicago-based journalist, and he's considered the expert on the running of the bulls in Spain. Some of you might have actually heard about that. Interesting enough, I had a pastor friend and his two boys actually run, if you will, in that race. And he said it was one of the most exhilarating things he ever did. I told him it was one of the most stupidest things he ever did. (laughs) But Bill Hillman is considered the expert. In fact, he authored a book called How to Survive the Bulls of Spain. And yet on July 3rd, 2014, the expert was gored by a 1,320-pound bull named Bravado. It was then the Hillman told the New York Times, looks like I'll need to update my book. (laughs) And I say that because I think maybe it's time that you and I update our understanding what it means to be built tough. And I want to say that again because I want to help you know that the next four weeks as we're moving into Christmas, we're not doing a Christmas series. And yet if you think about it, every week in the church is a Christmas series, is it not? It really is. It's crazy how we in this country have reduced Jesus to a birth and a death. And hence you hear people called Christers which is most people in the church, members of church, they're known as Christers because they only show up on Christmas and Easter. They only show up on a holiday, and the reason why is because they miss the holy day. Jesus did not become to be born to be celebrated and died, if you will, to make somehow it a special event where our little children get all dressed up and we come and we exchange eggs and run around after bunnies and we call it Easter. Isn't it amazing how we've taken two holidays and made them what we wanted them to be? You find that interesting? We're the ones that made sure that there's a big guy in a red coat that comes down the chimney and has little reindeer and little green people call the elves and make presents and we get all excited. And I know as parents, some of us are going, well, we're not there anymore. Hate to break the news. I still think we are because it's still about us. It just is. I don't say this to be, if you will, negative. I don't say this because I'm ever trying to get people to move to a different church. I only say this because if you do pick up and go to a different church, then it really was true what I said. It's really all about you. It's interesting how it works, isn't it? I hear people over and over, well, Christmas, we do Christmas Eve because Christmas is when we have family. Where's that in the Bible? You don't have a family if it if it wasn't for God. You don't even know what marriage is if it wasn't for God. You don't have children if it wasn't for God. You don't have the ability to see, to use your feet and hands if it wasn't for God. Everything we are is because of Almighty God and the creator of who he is. And everything that we have, he gave it to us because he adores us and loves us. But the key to Christianity is when you and I return that love. Do you understand what that means? The way we're supposed to treat our wives, men, 
I will forsake all others and keep myself only unto you. And then the devil comes along and puts pictures, if you will, on TV screens, puts them in movies, all kinds of magazine covers. And what the devil's doing is starting, hey, man, how about you look elsewhere? How, how about your vows don't mean anything? And I'll get your eyes looking somewhere else. See, that's what it's all about. That's why you see what you see on the screens and on the magazine covers and all that. Those are all the works of the devil trying to get you distracted so your vows don't matter. The same thing he's trying to do when it comes to our relationship with Christ. He makes it about us. And then we get offended when someone comes along and says, it's not about you. Which is really going to be difficult in this country because the entire American world is built on the fact it's all about you. All the commercials, we're here to serve you. We're, we're here to give it your way. We want you to have what you need. We want you to be happy. Happiness is about what you acquire. Happiness isn't about becoming the right person. Happiness is about marrying the right person. Evidently, your marriage isn't working because you married the wrong person. It's all about football this afternoon. If my kids could just be that, if my kids could, if could, could get to this, if I could just aspire, if I could make sure that all of my, if you will, things return to me, it's all about me. And when it isn't about me, I get my feelings hurt, I just pick up and I go elsewhere. Whether it's in church, whether it's Costco's, whether it's Sam's, whether it's Walmart, whatever it is. The entire world has been seduced by the fact that Satan is lying to us. And what we need to do is die to ourselves and we need a savior. We need something new. Amen? Come on. Church, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. If you disagree with me, you just don't believe the word of God. Which really makes the whole Christian thing a bunch of garbage. What's the point of being here if there's no truth by which we follow? That you're the subject of the truth, which means you're God and everybody else needs to follow your way. Isn't that how it works? That's why we're impatient at traffic. It couldn't be that the person in front of us has anything going on in their life. They're in my way to get me to where I need to go and they're slowing me down there for their wrong. I was only going a few miles over the speed limit. Why is this cop, that stupid, dumb cop, why is he after me when there's other criminals in the world? As if you're not a criminal. This is how it works. We're, we're, it's all about us. And God goes, no, I love you so much. I love you so much. I want you to experience life to the full. I want you to realize that it isn't about getting it your way. I want to show you a better way. And so thus he said, I'm going to send my son. Hence Christmas. A savior's been born, someone we need that's bigger than Keith Loy, because Keith Loy easily gets in the way. He gets in the way of being a dad. He gets in the way of what it means to be a husband. He gets in the way of what it means to be a pastor. And God goes, but I love you so much. I want to give you something bigger, something better. And Christmas was a game changer. Our world needed something, and God knew what we needed. But not only do we need an example by which to live, and that's why he would do what he would do for so many years, but he says, but now we need a sacrifice. Because no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be good enough. Heaven's only for perfect people. Which means I can't go there. You can't go there. Then God in his love said, how about this? How about I build a bridge and I'll, I'll, I'll be the one to make the sacrifice? Hence why he died in the cross. Hence what it's all about. 
And he gave us a gift we do not deserve because of his incredible love, right? And now we get to experience life. That's what church was about, that now we gather because we all are on the same page. And there's something about what happens in this room that's so beautiful because we love each other, even though that sometimes I can be the biggest jerk in the world. You still love me. Why? Because it's not capable for you to love me. You love me because the Holy Spirit's in you. And I love you, which is a lot easier, I'm sure, from my direction to you than it is for you to me. But that's all because, so we gather. And we gather in a room like this to tell him thank you. Wow, thank you for the gift you gave us. A gift we didn't deserve. And that should be a game changer and no one should be built more tough than God's people. That they can weather anything. Why? Because if he can conquer death, my goodness, I can experience life. And life to the full. But I think we're going to need to do what Bill Hillman says. We're going to need to update our book. What does it really mean to be the real deal? What does it mean to be built tough? So we're going to start a new series for the next four weeks. And we're not talking about trucks, okay? All right? But we're talking about rather who God expects us to be. What God made us to be. The rate Robert Schuler once said this, tough times never last, but tough people do. And specifically, do you know who he was talking about? He was talking about God's people. They're the toughest people in the world. They'll endure whatever they need to endure. And the reason for that is, is because they know that whatever they face is temporal. God is bigger. And we're going to walk it through and tell the world, listen, we live for something bigger than ourselves. We live for something bigger than our circumstances. We live for almighty God. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about faith. And that's what we're going to start on today. We're going to talk about finance. We're going to talk about family. And we're going to talk about friendships. But today, faith, because faith is the cornerstone of everything, folks. Faith is the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. But I think faith is so misunderstood. You know what the Bible says? It says in Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is what pleases God the most because you know what faith is? Faith means I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't see it. It makes no sense to me, but I'm trusting God all the way through it. And if there's one thing lacking right now in the world, I think among God's people, it is faith. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to James chapter two, James chapter two. And I'm going to be reading from the new living translation and I'm going to pull out my phone. So if you got your phone or whatever device you use, you just go on and click on it. James chapter 2. And I'm going to begin in the 14th verse. Now, let me just help you again. There are two brothers of Jesus that actually write in the word of God. Neither one of them believed who their brother was, Jesus being the oldest, being the firstborn to Mary. But then we know that he would have at least five brothers and two sisters. We know that in the scriptures. Big family. But two of them would actually write in God's word. This would be one of them, James, the brother of Jesus, and the other, Jude. So here we are, James chapter 2, beginning in the 14th verse. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters? And I just want to say it again. This is Jesus' brother. I just love it. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, 
if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it just happened, as the scripture says, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. I find this amazing. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Man, it's powerful. There was a young lawyer. He was setting himself up to open his first private practice. I love this story. As he sat in his office, which was basically empty, except for a desk, a bookcase, and a telephone, he wondered, how long will it be before I get my first client? It was then he saw a man crossing the street towards his front door. Feeling nervous and wanting to make a good impression, he quickly picked up the phone and began talking to an imaginary client. The man came in the door and began to wait in front of his desk while the young lawyer concluded his imaginary conversation. Finally, he ended his phone conversation and said, can I help you? To which the man replied, I'm from the phone company. I'm here to connect your phone. <laughs> and I think this is true about a lot of Christians. They come in this room, and I think there's a lot of pretend that goes on. I, I, I really say that with a great sense, if you will, of cautiousness because, again, I'm not trying to put anybody on the defense. I'm just simply saying this. If you had died this past week, would you truly have heard Jesus say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant? Would your colleagues and the people you work with say, wow, I want what they've got. Something's just different about them. Their unbelievable love for others, 
their willingness to share, even in the difficult, their integrity that they care. Do you have the real deal? That tough stuff that stands up when everybody else seems to be stepping away. That speaks up for the poor, those that are marginalized, those that are left out, treated differently. So what does a strong faith look like? What does the real deal look like? If you got your notes, take them out. Because I want to talk about what it means to be built tough. To really talk about this, the, the, the strong stuff, the strength that makes us who we are. So let me tell you this way, okay? Write the first one in. A strong faith is not, I want to start with what it's not. A strong faith is not just something you say. Say it with me. A strong faith is not just something you say. George Gallup did a survey and found that 50 million Americans say, I have been born again. One-sixth, if you will, roughly, of this population that we have on the planet right now said, I've been born again. But here's what they discovered. Most, most that what they said did not match how they lived. What does it really mean to be born again? You know, a perfect example for me is Larry Flint. You probably don't know who that is, but he's the publisher of Hustler. You know, the pornography magazine. He said a few years ago he found Jesus. He'd been born again. His life had been changed, and yet he continued to print pornography. That just doesn't make sense. As the French writer Michel de Montaigne said, saying is one thing, doing is another. Would you agree with that? Saying is one thing. And I, I can't, again, I don't say it to be pessimistic. I'm just telling you what the word is on the street and why a lot of people don't come through the doors of a church. Does anybody know what it is? The church is full of hypocrites. They say one thing, they do another. See, we don't we 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 can get offended and push back, or we can stop and go, is that me? Like when I die, will I get to heaven? And will I be one of those people God said you were like a roadblock to others? You were a stumbling block. I hope that's not me. That's what I don't want. See, having a faith is more than something you say. Matthew 21, Jesus told this story. What do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. His son answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? And the people listening responded and said the first. And Jesus said, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. I just want you to think about that. 
tax collectors and a prostitute will get into the kingdom of God before you. Here's the deal. I believe this. When God gets a hold of you, he starts to mold you into the likeness of who he is. Amen to that? Or as the apostle Paul wrote, the old is gone and the newness will come. And you know what I think that newness is? It's more of a walking faith, not just a talking one. If you're a professor of Christianity, the Bible says you need to be a possessor of Christianity. Here's number two. A strong faith is not just something you feel. A strong faith is not just something you feel. Do you remember this song? Feelings. Whoa, 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 feelings. Whoa, 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 feelings. You never heard of that song? Let me also tell you what a faith is. Faith is not a liar, okay? You've heard that song, okay? In fact, write this down. God is not a feeling. He's a fact. I literally got a letter from a young person years ago. I was counseling through a relationship that they wanted me to be a part and do their marriage. The only problem was in the midst of the counseling, they mentioned that they had moved in together. They were living together. And I said to them, I, I, I can't do it. Based on the fact that she should know better. I said, you're asking me as God's called person to neglect the word of God for the justification of your life and you're going to ask me as a pastor to bless your relationship in front of others and before God in heaven when you've already said clearly that God's not going to be in this relationship because you're going to do it the way you think it's right. And of course, they love to always say this. Well, we're, we're not sleeping together. And I said, yep, and I'm a monkey. That's exactly what I said. And they kind of smiled, and I said, come on. You can hide behind because we're saving money, but that's a pile of garbage, and you know it as well as I do. So let's just cut through that, and let's have a conversation. But what was written to me blew me out of the water. And I want you to listen to this because what I'm about to tell you, you're going to know where this pastor stands. My Bible says those who are led by the Spirit will walk in the Spirit. And what was written to me was, isn't the Spirit of God all about feelings? Isn't the Spirit of God all about feelings? And I wrote them back, and it was the last I heard of them. I said, Please hear this with all my love for you and care. The Spirit of God is the furthest from feelings. The Spirit of God will do nothing unless it's directed by the Father. And the Father would not advocate what you feel because God's not a feeling, He's a fact. Now, please hear this. I hear it all the time because I hear it in the church. People make statements to me. They go, oh, I just knew it was of God. Couldn't you just feel the presence of God? Let me make very clearly. This is God's house. He's in the house all the time. 
whether you feel it or not. I will not worship my God because I feel his presence. I worship my God because he's always present. And I know that to be true because if you'll help me out, I'll be more than happy to bring Chris out. Chris is going to lead us in a worship song. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and lift your hands, and I'm going to come with a ball-peen hammer and start smashing your feet. I'll guarantee you, you'll go from this to going, ah! Okay? And yet God didn't change. God didn't move. In fact, I'm more of an advocate this. When everything's going right, my, my guess is there might be less God involved than you realize. Because the number one words in the word of God are perseverance and endurance. Usually, I contend God must be up to something when the road is even harder for me. And yet, in this country, we have flipped it. I hear people say, I just knew it was of God because everything just fell in place. I'm like, huh? There's an old adage, it may not be true, but this is it. When you wake up and life's going pretty smooth, you're probably not meeting the devil head on. You're probably going in the same direction. I will tell you this, a true faith, a true faith is not just something you feel. Oh, you can feel it, but you can go to church and get a quiver in your liver. You can get a goose bumpus on your rumpus, okay? But if it doesn't put your feet to motion and start being the hands and feet in Jesus to the world around us, then it really doesn't mean much, does it? James said, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go, I wish you well, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? There was a Peanuts cartoon that portrayed Charlie Brown and Linus inside, all bundled up and Snoopy out in the cold, shivering, if you will, in front of an empty dog food bowl. Charlie and Linus are having a discussion from the inside of the house on how sad it is that Snoopy is in the cold. He's cold. He's hungry. We ought to do something about it, said Linus. So they walked outside and said to Snoopy, be of good cheer, Snoopy. Do you know where the late Charles Schultz got that? From the church. Almost every one of his cartoons are based upon what he saw in the church. Did you know that? John wrote it this way. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? How can the love of God be in him? John writes in the very next verse, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions. I will tell you this on the weekend. A worship that goes up, that doesn't go out, to me is no worship at all. It's no worship at all. I'm going to invite Noah to come to the stage. He's going to continue on. I just want to first of all say it is such an honor and a blessing to have a leader a pastor, and a friend like Pastor Keith, who not just believes in me as a person, but really believes in the next generation. And so thank you, Pastor Keith, for the way you support and love. Our third point today, a strong faith is not just something you think. 
a strong faith is not just something you think. Because I think one of the problems in society today is that we have so many cerebral Christians, so many smart Christians to say, people who could tell you every book of the Bible front to back, people who could tell you all of their different theological views, their perspectives, but if, if they were challenged to tell someone they disagreed with that they loved them, it wouldn't be so easy for them. It's a lot harder for them to love, to put feet to what they think, but they're so, sorry, they're so confident in what they think. The truth is God didn't give us his word just so that we'd memorize it, learn it, be able to debate it, but God gave us his word so it would change us. God wanted life change to happen in us, and not just a life change that stays comfortable, not a life change that stays in our home or that stays in the church walls in these seats, but the kind of life change that wants to go out and be Jesus and continue to make a difference and tell people about who he is. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and their life. So what's the point if I stood in front of you today and I told you my physical health is so important to me, but my exercise habits didn't reflect that, or my eating habits or my sleeping habits wouldn't show that. It wouldn't hold a lot of weight, would it? Can I tell you guys something I love and I'm incredibly passionate about? Is that okay? I love and am so passionate about the next generation. And I'm not just talking about myself or people my age and older. I am so passionate about our youth students, specifically here at Celebrate, but I just love youth. And I get the privilege of being a youth pastor and serving with them. And I can tell you, I don't know many people who are as passionate, as hungry, as loving, as fighting for justice as these students, because I really believe in them, and I know God has a call and a purpose for them. And so nothing brings me joy more than to serve them, more than to get to walk with them in life. But if, if I, as their youth pastor, told you that I love them and I believe in them, but I didn't equip them, I didn't give them opportunities to lead, to teach, I wouldn't actually believe, I wouldn't actually think what I'm saying in the first place. Because you see, there needs to be feet to those things. If we really think it, it needs to reflect in our lives. We can think all of the right things. We can know it and still not get it and still not be true followers of Jesus. It's just not enough to think it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying thinking is a bad thing like Pastor Keith talked about. We need to know what we think. We need to know what we believe. There's a word for that actually in the Christian faith. That word is orthodoxy. And orthodoxy means to have right thinking and right practice. But if all we have is that right thinking and not the practice, it's not gonna mean anything. It's not gonna change us. We can't be Jesus if we're just stuck with right thinking. So it's not enough. And James would agree. James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. Now don't get me wrong, just to clear some things up, James isn't saying here that we're saved by works. He's not saying you're saved by good things because if that was the case, if we were saved by the good things we do, I think we'd all be in trouble because we all make some mistakes. I don't know about you, but I do. Um, but there's so many people who can give time, give money, do what we'd call the right thing, and 
what terrifies me the most is that there's gonna be people who do those things and they're gonna meet Jesus someday and he's gonna say, I never knew you. And so James isn't saying we're saved by our works, but James is saying that if we have true faith, that if we are built tough, that our life is gonna reflect that, right? It's not just gonna stay up here, but it's gonna go out and it's gonna try and make a difference for Jesus. Our fourth point, a strong faith is not just something you believe. A strong faith is not just something you believe. I have a question for you, and you can, you can answer by raising your hands. Who here would say they believe in God? Pretty simple question. Who here would say they believe in Jesus? Yeah, that's most of us, that Jesus walked this earth, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, and got resurrected from the dead. Would you agree with that? Can I tell you what the Bible says? That means nothing. That means nothing. James wrote in 2.19 that we already read, you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now I want you to get this. The devil is more of a theologian than you and I are and ever will be. The devil knows the Bible back to front. The devil knows how powerful God is. He knows how much of a threat he is to evil, to God's purposes for your life. I don't know about you, I'm pretty sure the devil's not gonna be with us in heaven someday. So obviously our belief isn't enough, is what James is saying. And the Greek word here for belief is actually could be better translated sometimes as bristle. It's like that feeling when you're watching a scary movie and you're home alone and all of a sudden you don't feel home alone. You know what I'm talking about? Like when your hair stands on its end, you don't feel so comfortable anymore. That's what this word belief means. And so it makes the devil uncomfortable. It's this feeling he sits with knowing that God is real. The truth is, I really believe there's so many Christians, so many people who claim to be Christians, who will miss heaven by the distance of 12 inches. And when I say 12 inches, what I mean is the distance from your head to your heart. There's a lot of people who it just stays up here. They think it, they believe it, they know it, but it doesn't change them. Let me tell you a story about the first time I ever worked out. So if you're wondering how I got this physique, <laughs> that's not true, that's not true. But the first time I ever worked out, I decided I wanted to start taking care of myself, take better care of my health, and so I grabbed a friend in college, and he had been working out, so we went together to the gym. And we got there, the first place he took me was to the bench, and we were gonna do the bench press together. Okay, great. So we got these 45 pound plates, put one on each side. He got down, lifted it a few times, warmed up, it was all good, then he got up and just looked at me. I didn't, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I got down, I lifted this thing up, no problem, right? Lifted this thing up, it came back down to my chest, but it wasn't going anywhere. I was stuck with this weight on my chest, and thank Jesus, my friend was there to help me or I was gonna be in big trouble. But the truth is, I walked up, and I was so confident that I could lift this thing. There was no doubt in me that I couldn't lift this weight, but somehow I was still stuck with these, this on my chest, and I couldn't move it. So obviously, I believed I could do it, but that just wasn't enough. 
And the same is true for us in our faith. Just to believe something isn't good enough. There's a newspaper story I read, and the title of it was Many Believe But Don't Practice. And in this article, the main emphasis, the focus, was a poll that they took. So they gathered several people who claimed to be Christians, followers of Jesus, and asked them some pretty simple questions. They asked them, do you attend church consistently? Do you give your time to serve other people? Do you give your money? Does your wallet show where your heart is? And the answers continued to come back as no, from people who claim to be Christians, followers of God. And that's why it's so concerning. One-sixth of the population claim to be followers of Jesus is because their lives don't align with what they say they believe. There's a disconnect in the church today, if you want to say it that way. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I don't know about you, but reading that after the James verse is kind of confusing. Because we read in one that even the devil and demons believe. And now we're reading that we're going to be saved by our belief. So for me, that was confusing. I had to do a little research. But if I want to pull a Pastor Keith, I'd go and look at the Greek word, right? And the Greek word here is pistoio. That made me feel really smart. Say it with me. Pistoio. That's good. That's good. But this Greek word pistoio is a verb. It's an action. It's more than just something you feel, something that makes you uncomfortable. But it's the type of conviction we experience as Christians that actually ends up transforming us, changing our lives. It's more than just this uncomfortable feeling. And that's what Paul's trying to get at, is that we're saved by the kind of faith that changes us, not that stays up here, but the kind that goes out and makes a difference for Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Did you come to church today expectant to meet the living God, to see him move, to be with his people? Did you come here today with those intentions? Or did you come here today maybe to check off a box? Did you come here because you feel guilty when you don't attend church? And so you come just to get it over with and to feel better about yourself? That's something we need to know. Why are we here? Why do we do the things we do? Do we have a kind of faith that wants to meet with God, that is ready for whatever he's calling us to do, and the kind of impact he wants us to make? Let me put it this way. Did you come here today out of ritual? Or did you come here today out of reverence for the living God? I did not stand in front of a group of people and speak like that when I was 21. Do you see why I smile? This church is filled with young people with that same heart and passion. And each week you're going to meet a few of them. And it just fires me up because there's so many of them. And I'm trusting over the next few years you're going to meet a lot of them. Because they're just hungry and passionate about sharing Jesus. 
So look at your notes again. A strong faith is not just something you say. A strong faith is not just something you feel. A strong faith is not just something you think. A strong faith is not just something you believe. Here's number five. Finally, I'm going to invite Chris to the stage. A strong faith is something you do. A strong faith is something you do. Again, James writes, faith by itself, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. It's just all talk. A true faith of God walks. God says to Abraham, we'll talk about that in just a moment in closing. He says, take your son, your only son, and take him to the mountain by which I'm going to show you. And I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And the Bible says the next morning, Abraham, by faith, did what God asked him to do. And I just wonder how many of us would do that. Over and over, you'll read in the book of Hebrews, by faith, these are people of faith. Their faith, they were credited righteous. So you take an old man like Abraham and you flip the script and you go to a little girl called Mary. A little girl says, I'm going to make you pregnant. Oh, we'd stop and go, that'd be just great. Yeah, in our world today. And all of Mary's life, she would know in her heart that I carried the Son of God and no one would believe her. We never hear about her parents. We never hear about his parents. But the Bible says she was considered righteous because of her faith. She did what God asked. How about you? See, if God is really in you, my Bible makes it clear that God will be coming out of you. My Bible says there's always an outward lifestyle in response to a true inward transformation. Jesus said it in Matthew 12, a good man, a God man, brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man, not a good man, brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And so I want to close with this incredible thing that we read that I hope you didn't miss. Remember the whole passage about Abraham in the end of what James speaks? And then he brings up Rahab. Both are talked of amazing faith. Talk about extremes. Abraham, a man, Rahab, a woman of the Old Testament in the Hebrew faith, Abraham, a Jew, Rahab, a Gentile, Abraham, a patriarch, Rahab, a prostitute, Abraham, a somebody, Rahab, a nobody, Abraham, a major character in the Bible, Rahab, a very minor character in the Bible. Why would James do this? Because it doesn't matter who you are. One of the great problems in our world today, not just among people in the church, but from pastors on the pulpit, I, I'll, I will guarantee you nine out of ten pastors that preach today wish they were Billy Graham, wish they were Joel Steen, wish they were Stephen Todd, wish they were Michael or, or, or Stephen Furtick, wish they were... And, the, and, off, and, and, and whether they'll admit it or not, I watch it. 
But what James is getting at is it doesn't matter who you are. What matter is whose you are. It doesn't matter what the world says about Keith Loy. What matters is what my God says about Keith Loy. My life may be a Mary. I may die someday a very lonely death that even my own family doesn't want to even know me. And yet God will say, welcome home. But I could die a death where everybody knows me and says I'm the greatest human being in the world. Look at all the great things he did. And God will say, I never knew you. That's in the scriptures. I go to funeral after funeral. Can hardly stomach them a lot of times because I'm telling you everybody in this country is going to heaven. Every time someone dies, oh, they were a great man. Oh, they were a great woman. I just hear it over and over. It breaks my heart. Sometimes, what are we doing? What's really going on? So the bottom line is this. It's not what everybody says about you when you die. The question is, what will God say? And the Bible makes it very clear. Only by faith you'll please God. Only someone who walks in faith takes the word of God as it is, trusts it, and obeys it regardless. That's what the Bible says. It's only by faith you'll please God. What he asks, we just do. And if there's anything our world needs right now, it's people who walk by faith. Amen? Our world desperately needs it. And God isn't going to fail us. He can't fail us. By faith. By faith. So Paul closes with a question in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Examine yourself. That's why this Christmas we're flipping the script. I'm not doing it to frustrate you. I'm not doing it to you to say, wow, you're messing up my traditions. Maybe that's what needed to happen. It's not something we're going to do every year. Maybe we will. I don't know. I just know as we go in this year, I'm tired of December 25th being a day we celebrate. And December 26th, everything goes back to normal. I'd like to believe that if December 25th was for real, there's never going to be a normal again. I'm tired of a virus getting more attention and making more of a change in our world than the name of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm tired of. That's what I'm tired of. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying my God's bigger. And I'm just tired of that. I'd like to know that the name of Jesus Christ brings about more fear because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to be a church of faith. And so I'm inviting you that let's be a faith that does. And so on Christmas, we're going to launch just like it was 2,000 years ago. No one knew it was coming, but the angel showed up and Christmas Day changed the world. And they went and worshiped him first and foremost. And then they went back. The Bible says not back to their sheep. It says they went out and told everybody 
what they just saw, what they just heard. And that's what we're wanting to do in our family. We're hoping you'll join us. And we're going to give you opportunity that we come Christmas and let's come to the house of the Lord and let's come and thank him for the gift. And let's go out and give the gift. And let's come back to our homes and say, wow, this is why we're a family. This is why we're married. And let's just see what God does this year. Let's just see what he does. Father, I thank you for the gift of faith. God, I just thank you for the gift of Noah. Our young people that come out and stand on a stage like this and communicate truth so beautiful, so clear. God, I believe what we shared last week and for the last three weeks. This is such a time for us, especially my generation and older. Let's invest. I want them to see the beautiful hearts that you've changed in our young people and the hunger that they have. God, I pray as we come into Christmas that as we launch flipping the script that God, I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to sort of wreck some traditions, but that's okay for a year. Maybe it's time to make a change, start a new one. I don't know. But just for a moment, we'll come together. We'll yield our hearts and understanding to you and say, God, speak. That we'll see things a little bit different this year. And realize the amazing gift that you gave us through Jesus. The love that you have for us. How amazing it is that you're not out to get anyone. You're not mad at anyone in this room. You're not disappointed. But you're asking us, hey, something new can happen. Something beautiful. And I believe it'll change the world. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.